Welcome to, uh, welcome to our family gathering of Cultivate. We're, uh, we're glad that you could be here with us this morning, particularly if you are uh, visiting with us today. Um, you, you're probably going to hear that word a lot because we refer to when we get together as our family gathering. And the reason we do that is because we believe that because God has made us His family. He has, uh, he has come in the person, the work of Jesus Christ, and has made those of us who are aliens from Him far from him, separated from him because of our sin, his children, his sons and daughters, and so we get to enjoy uh, not only relationship with him, which is the best thing there is to enjoy, but a relationship with one another, renewed and restored, and that together we get to be a family that shows the world what he's like. So that's really our hope and our goal. Whenever we get together, either whether it's here on Sunday or whether it's in life groups and missional communities throughout the week, um, that's our our goal. So welcome if you're new. If I haven't if you haven't got a chance to introduce yourself to me or talk to me, then please do so afterwards. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. We are uh, we're doing a series uh, as a family called uh, Invisible Made Visible. We've been doing this throughout the, the entire summer, uh, and we're finishing up at the end of September, so we only have a few more weeks to go. But throughout the whole series, we've been asking the question, how do we know what the Father is like? How do we know what God the Father is like? And the answer is that we've seen over and over and over again, that you look at Jesus, you look at Him, and when you behold Him, you actually see the Father. So Paul says He is the image of the invisible God. He is, he is the exact representation of who God is. So if you want to know what He's like, you look at Jesus. Jesus Himself said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. So I hope that you're here today going, I wonder what God is like. And the answer as we're going to see today in terms of God's goodness, is found in, in Jesus and who He is. And, and really what I've been doing this whole series, you probably don't realize this, but I've been training you up in four key questions to ask in, in every situation. We kind of touched on them at the end last week, but th- those four key questions are, who is God? Like, is He good? Is He, is he great? Glorious? Like, who is He in His character? What has He done in Jesus? Who am I as a result of that? That's my identity. And then what should I do as a result of my identity? So, so every week we've been walking through those four questions. I haven't posed them every week, but that's really what we've been doing. Because my hope is that as you walk through life, you would constantly be asking yourself as you're confronted with situations, who is God and what has He done? And if that's true, who am I and what should I do as a result of what He's done? That's what it means to live by faith. And so that's really what we've been walking through. So last week we talked about God as being a righteous judge. And, uh, and this week we're talking about God as being forever good. So let me, let me gauge the room a little bit and see uh, maybe some of your experience. If I say God is good, 
if you're part of the church, what is your typical response to that? Oh, you have been around churches before. So I say, God is good all the time. Okay, how many of you have ever heard that before? All right, quite a few of you. It, it gets said a lot, right? And, and it tends to be part of, uh, of maybe more of a traditional church background, liturgical background. Uh, and some of you may have had that experience growing up. But it's, it's, it's intended to be a reminder to us all the time that God is good. God is good all the time. And that it's simple enough that we would remember it everywhere we go. Uh, because the fact is, God is good. So, and, and God has been good since the very beginning. And one of the things that we see in terms of God's goodness is that when God created everything in the very beginning, He described it with the word good. In fact, He says this in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that He had made and it was, it was very good, right? It was very good. But think about this. God creates everything and everything is very good. Alright, we settled that. And yet, when He designed things, particularly when He designed human beings, He created them to be dependent. That should, that should cause a flag for you, right? He created them with need. So think of all the needs that we have. The need for sleep or for food, water, relationships, work, rest, play, intimacy to be known fully and accepted by others. So when God says this is very good, he's saying this is exactly the way that I intended it to be. I want every, I want every person whoever was to be in a constant state of need. It's very good. Why do you think God would do that? So if you're new to cultivate, we dialogue a lot about uh, different things and different points in the message. And so you get to respond at certain points. So what, why do you think God would do that? Yeah, right. So it's like a protection against independence, right? Boy, we love being independent in this country, right? I mean, it's in our founding documents, is it not? To be fully independent, not need a soul apart from ourselves. And, and what you're saying, Ron, is essentially is that declaration runs completely counterintuitive to the way that God designed us to be. Isn't that interesting? But it's a Christian nation. <laughs> Perhaps, right? Yeah, what else? Yeah. Yeah, so we'd learn over time maybe that the more needs we have, the more God provides for those needs, and then we have other needs, and we may even have faith the next time that we have need that God might provide for that need just as He provided for the previous one, right? Yeah, great. What else? James. Yeah, it gives meaning and, and fullness to relationships, right? Uh, my guess is that you don't have uh, a great relationship with somebody that never comes to you in a time of need. Right? Like if somebody is totally self-sufficient, self-supplying all the time, and yet, and you try to get to know that person on a maybe a deeper or intimate level, but they never reveal any need or any struggle or anything about themselves. Like, there's no interdependence, but they want to help you with all your problems. How long are you going to be friends with that kind of person? 
at least not good friends for very long, right? Yeah, what else? Yeah, so imagine that. Like we would be created in such a way that God would want us to see progress in our life and not just to be born you know, in, in a, a state of complete independence and then carry on in that state. That would probably lead us to think that we're God, right? If we were born in that state. There's a couple things. I think you, you guys touched on it, but there are really two reasons that I want to kind of work through today in terms of why God created us dependent. And the first one is that we really need God physically. And, I think this part of this was said, God wants us to know that He is the only one who can meet our physical needs. And that we're totally dependent on Him, even physically. So think, think through the, the very beginning of the story. God creates everything, and then He creates a, a man, and He puts the, him in the garden, and He creates him with needs. He has a need for food, and yet He puts trees around the whole garden. He says, eat. He, he creates them with a, a need for relationship and says, it is not good for a man to be alone. And then what does he do? He takes part of Adam and he makes a woman. And he says, here's a relationship. All the time, God is creating need and then filling the need. Because when God creates a need and then fills it, what happens? Adam then turns and he gives thanks to God for filling the need. You know what that's called? Worship. It's called worship. And we as people were created to worship God. So the reason that we have needs is so that we would see God fill them, and then when we would see them filled, we'd run to God and we'd go, thank you for filling the need, and we'd worship Him. This is the way that God designed all of us to work. All of our needs are there so that we would look to God to meet those needs and give Him thanks when when He does. And God gives us good gifts to satisfy all the needs of life in such a way that we would glorify Him in everything that we do. That's part of the reason. And so the first reason that God is good is because God gives good gifts. Right? And those good gifts are an indication of His goodness. Just like Adam. We would learn over time to know and believe and walk in the goodness of God. Psalm 145 says this, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that He's made. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. You hear that? He's meeting needs, right? James 1.17 in the New Testament says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. See, oftentimes we think of goodness as being dependent on people's character, but people change, right? All of us do. And, and, and no one is good all the time because all of us are like shifting shadows. Some days we're better than others. And, and, and so what James is saying is God wants us to know that He doesn't change like all the rest of us do. So we all change and we give in proportion to how good we're feeling or doing that day. But God doesn't do that. He's actually the same all the time. And because He's the same all the time, He's always good. Because He's always good, He always gives good gifts to us. And so we can be confident in Him. So let me ask this. When, when we believe this about God, when he, that He gives good gifts to meet our needs, what are some of the fruit that that's going to produce in us? What's going to characterize our lives when we believe that about God? What do you think? 
Yeah, generous. Why would we be generous? Yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't hoard what we have because we'd have this deep-seated belief that if God gave me everything and I didn't earn it to get it, then God's going to keep giving it to me regardless of what the future might hold. And so I can give without expectation to others knowing that God's going to keep filling and meeting the needs that I have. Great. What else? Sure. Yeah, yeah. You want other people to know the generosity of God, right? And how He meets their needs. Particularly, like if you saw somebody in, in your life that struggles with things like anxiety and worry and depression, rather than meeting their need by telling them, oh, everything's going to be okay, don't worry about it, you might actually talk about the source of where you get comfort and satisfaction and joy, right? Yeah, so if you're, if you're the kind of person that can never accept a gift from someone, it might be an indication that you don't believe as God, God is good because you feel like you need to work for everything that you have, right? And if, you, if that's happening and somebody gives you a gift and you're not able to accept it, but you call yourself a Christian, you have received so much more because of the Gospel than this tiny little gift, right? And so you should be able to receive from anyone that wants to give you a good gift because you know that when you were in need, you received from God far more than you deserved and that you didn't do a thing to earn it. And so you'd be able great. I love gifts. It's fantastic. Keep them coming, you know? <laughs> it's tough though, right? Because every time somebody gets a good gift, particularly if this is a struggle in your life, you feel like you, you chalk it up in the back of your mind like, i got to repay them. Sometime, somewhere, somehow, I'm keeping that record and it's kind of come back to them because if I don't equal the score, then I'm going to be in debt to that person and I'm never going to live that down. You're free, right? If you believe that God is a good giver and He gives good gifts. Yeah. So, I, I mean, things like gratitude, satisfaction, contentment, humility, all should be like, rising to the surface in our minds. So let me ask, is that progressively showing more in your life? Do you see the fruit of God as a good giver bubbling to the surface in your life more and more and more every day or every hour or every, every year? Do you see? Are you able to track the, the progress of that belief in your life and go, man, a year ago I really struggled with God being a giver. And this year, yeah, I still struggle, but I'm a little bit further down the path. And I believe that He's a good giver. If not, then it may be that you don't believe that fully. Or at least fully yet. Here's the second reason. The second reason that God creates us with needs is that we don't just need God physically, we need Him spiritually. We have a deep dependence on God in, in terms of who He really is. We need to be in relationship with Him. We need Him for, for everything. For life. And so think of this. What are physical needs? Physical needs are reminders of a deeper spiritual need for Him. So they, they act a little bit like a check engine light on the car. Right? So when the check engine light comes up on the car, do you like stop the car, go out, and check the tires? No, right? It's an indication that something's going on with the engine 
it's probably something that you don't understand a, a lick of, but but you you know, and you're going to drive it to an auto mechanic, and then they're going to tell you it's you know some part that costs a thousand dollars. But it's a much deeper need than just the light, right? The the light is giving you an indication that something else is going on. It's calling your attention to something, and so hunger and thirst and exhaustion. What are those things? They're physical needs. And what are they pointing to? They're pointing to greater needs, right? So every time we're hungry, we should kind of come to, to the table and go, and whenever we get food, we should sit down at the table and go, man, my stomach is hungry. Thank you, God, that you give good gifts and I get to sit down and eat a meal. Thank you so much for providing it for me. But thank you also that I know that you're here with me as I sit at this meal. And you provide even the deeper need for my soul. There's a deeper hunger that I have, and you provide for that need. Thank you so much for that. And so you wouldn't like sit down to a meal to, to say grace just to like bless the food as if it were like dirty, and when you say a prayer over it, it's now clean. And you're like, okay, now we're all good to eat. You know, You would sit down and go, we need to give thanks for this. Right? Because God is meeting our physical need. And not only that, He's provided for a deeper spiritual need because He's here with us. When we need rest, we and when we find rest, we thank God that I'm tired and you give my body rest, but thank you that when my soul is tired, you give my spirit rest. God is good because He meets our basic needs, but God is also good because He has given us Himself. And here's the thing you need to know. God is good because He's given us Himself and He is the best possible gift He could ever give you. He is the best possible gift. You know who got this more than anybody else, I think? There's a guy named David that understood this perfectly. Uh, David was the guy who was next in line to be the king of Israel. And so Israel complained to God and they wanted a king. And so God said, all right, I'll give you a king, but I want you to have this kind of king. And they said, no, 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 we want a king like everybody else has a king. He's got to be big and strong and tall and tough. And so they nominate a king, and, and he, he doesn't work out so well. And so God says, okay, you had it your way. Now I'm going to kind of bring in my sort of king, and he's going to lead you far better because he's going to be a man after my heart, not after your heart. And so David is that man, and he is next in line for the king. And, and the king who's currently on the throne, Saul, knows it and decides he's got to wipe out this dude named David. Because like, if he's next in line... I don't see two thrones here. I'm sitting on the one. And, and if he's in line for it, if I take care of him, then I can sit on the throne just a little bit longer, right? And, and so he decides to go after David and pursue him and try to kill him. And so David spends much of his early life just running and dodging and ducking this guy named Saul and living his life in caves to get away from the armies that Saul was pursuing him with. And so he is at this point, exiled in the desert, hiding in caves and fearful that his life is going to be taken. And he happens to be in a place where there is very little resources. There is no running water, very little food, and this is what he writes. Why don't you hear this? Because you would think, right, if you were in that situation and you were writing in your prayer journal, you would go, God, I need food today. You know, That's high on my list. I need water today because I didn't drink water yesterday. If I don't get water today, I may not be around much longer. 
But here's what he writes. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek who? You. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You hear what he's doing? He's going, I have a, a, a physical thirst that is pointing me to a deeper spiritual thirst for the presence of God. So if you ask David, hey, what is your deepest need right now? You're living in a cave. What's going on? He would go, my deepest longing, my, my soul's thirst is that God would reveal His presence to me. That I would know God and experience God because I long for Him the most. He goes on and says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because what? Your love is better than life. That's easy to say when things are going really well. When you got all the food in the world, it is easy to say, God, your love, it's better than all this stuff, but I'm going to go have a meal and then I'm going to tell you about how great your love is. And he's at a point though where there's no meal around. There's no buffet he can go to. There's, there's no drinking fountain that he can pull the tab on. And yet he's going, your love is better than all this. It's better than what I don't have. And my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. You hear where he's going to with his thirst? He's running to God because he's saying... You're the best gift I could receive. And then he finishes by saying, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest food. With, sing, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So he's going, you could provide a meal. Like, I believe that if you wanted to come into this cave and give me a banquet, you could do it. And yet my soul would continue to be hungry for you. And I know that when you're here, I'll be satisfied. See, we were, we were made for Him. And that's really important to remember. Because if God is being good, is only a product of the good gifts that He gives you, then guess what? He's no better than a genie that you rub the lamp on and, and kind of get what you want from Him and then walk away when you don't need anything from Him. You need to know that He is the best thing for you and the only thing that will satisfy you. We're made for Him. There, there are a bunch of um, kind of pseudo-Christianities around that you can... I mean, they're really popular like on podcasts and like they, they tend to have really big buildings and are easy to find um, who, who teach a one-half of this equation. And they will teach you that God exists for your soul happiness. And so if you just have faith and believe in this God, then God will give you every good gift that you desire. But there's very little of His presence involved in it. Right? And so just believe by faith that you're in need and that you need a Cadillac. And lo and behold, sometime in the next month, you will have the money in your account to go and buy that Cadillac. Just send us $20 in equal payments over the next two years. Right? They're, they're feeding off of our need to know that God is good without the, the truth that the best thing that God can give you is Himself. 
That's what, one of my favorite quotes is a really famous one by John Piper when he says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. He is most glorified when we are most satisfied with Him. And so what ha- here's what happens. God creates a need, and then God meets the need, and then we give Him worship and glorify Him. It's all about Him, right? And if, and if we could have all of our needs satisfied without the presence of God being a part of our lives, is that really what we would want? If it is, then it's not the Gospel. And so when we believe this about God, here's the other half, and we'll dialogue about this. That, that He gives the gift of Himself that meets our soul's hunger. And that that's the best gift that He could give. And He gives it freely. What, what would that produce in our lives? What fruit would we see? One of those dialogue times again. Understanding of what? We would we would believe by faith that the circumstances that we walk through are a product of His goodness and not the absence of it, right? So when you like encounter struggle and difficulty in your life, if if the next thing you think is, man, this, like. I don't know if God's good because I wouldn't be walking through this. It may in fact be that God is using this to let you know that He is good and will meet the need and that maybe you've been looking for some satisfaction in the wrong places, right? All of our our needs are, are fulfilled with God. And that's easy to say, right? Like in the sanitary environment where you're all in rows, Everything is neat and comfortable. It's much more difficult to say in real life. But the more that we believe that God is good, the more we're able to walk through that, right? And declare that. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that just knows and believes to the core of their being that they have the presence of God and that that's the best thing that they could have. It's usually the people that have a lot of trouble in life. You know, so like if you were to look at just like the X's and O's of their life and go, man, what is the. Is, does this result in happiness? You would look at all the circumstances of their life and go, man, it shouldn't, right? Because their, their circumstances are probably worse off than mine. And yet, you, you add it all together and, it, and you see joy and peace and comfort uh, being the, the, the end result of that equation. And the only possible answer is that there is an unaccounted for factor in that equation, which is the presence of God in their lives. And they, and they value that part of the equation far more than anything else on the list. And so it always comes out to a positive account. Lo and behold, right? Crazy. Yeah, I think we'd be people of peace and comfort. Uh, joy comes to mind. So when things get tough for you, where do you tend to go for comfort? What tends to be the things that you look to? And when things do get tough, do you have peace and comfort? If not, then it may be because you don't believe that God is good. For me, I know comfort and peace tend to go out the window when I feel like I don't have enough time. So time tends to be one of my biggest idols. And what that means is that I look to time to give me a sense of of well-being and goodness in my life. So if time is crunched, then I feel like life is bad. And if I feel like I have enough time, then time is, you know, then, then life is better. 
So most people like judge the, the goodness of their day by how fast it goes. How many of you like, you know, especially Monday through Friday? You know, how was your day? It was great. It was quick. I mean, everything went well. You know, it was like boom, 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 five o'clock and I was out of there. <laughs> you know, for me, it's completely the opposite. So I'll get home and I'll talk to Mandy and I'll say, how was your day? And she'll go, good. It, you know, things went well and, it, you know, like everything went in order. And, you know, I looked up and it was four o'clock and I was out of there. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, how was your day? Well, I looked up and it was four o'clock and I was out of there. It went really bad, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> It's because, I, you know, I, I look to my life to, to be the thing that has enough time. So when I don't feel like I have enough time, I'm probably not believing that God is good and that, he's, that He has given me enough time. And, and here's the ironic thing. is because when I feel like I don't have enough time in my life, then I'll often use the time that I do have not to run to God, but one, complain that I don't have enough time, or two, run to other time-consuming, time-wasting things so I have even less time. So like, I don't have enough time to begin with, and, and because I feel like I don't have enough time and I won't have enough rest, then I'll run to like Facebook and the Internet and work and, and like world news and stuff like that to, to escape from the fact that I don't have enough time. I know, if you can figure that out, then please tell me, because it's crazy, right? One of the great examples that we have of God using physical needs to actually reveal our need for Him is Israel. And uh, if you know anything about the story of Israel, God leads them out of slavery in Egypt after 400 years and they cry out to God. And then God shows up and He leads them out. But He leads them through a part of the world where there's no natural resources. There's no food and there's no water. And you think, why is He leading them through this place? How are they going to survive? And of course, if you know the story, the answer is that they're going to have to, prov- to look to Him to provide what they don't have. And God does. So when they ask for water, God gives it. And when they ask for food and they grumble and complain that they're hungry, God comes and He, he, and he brings to them manna every single day. He says, all you're going to have to do is go out and collect it each and every day. It's going to be there for you. Just go out and get it. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And every time that they have a physical need, they're to remember that God is the source who's going to provide for that need. And every time they remember that God is the source, they're also to be reminded, oh yeah, God is with us. And that's what He wanted them to know. But then they get to this point. Okay, So they've been out in the desert for a while. They've been eating the manna for a little while. And they're not satisfied with what God is giving. And so so here's what happens. There's a group of people called the rabble that are with them. And, and these people are non-Israelites, but they were Egyptians who went with them out of the, during the Exodus. Okay, So they're now part of this group of people that is under God's care and authority, but they weren't Israelites themselves. So it says this, the, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. So this isn't a new issue, right? This has been going on for a while. And they said, if only we had meat to eat, I love this part. We remember the fish that we ate in in Egypt at no cost. Slaves don't pay for much, right? And also the cucumbers and the melons. Oh, they were tasty. And the leeks and onions and garlic. 
Oh, I mean, it was like a banquet every single day. I mean, we just lounged around by the river and ate till our hearts were content. Do you remember those days? Weren't they the good old days? But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. <laughs> really? Really, Israel? And then I remember how often we do that, right? Like how often we look back at our lives and go, boy, the good old days, you know? I remember being in high school. This is kind of a tangent. But I remember being in high school, and one of my parents' friends said to me as we were like, they had a couple friends over, and we were going uh, to, I think it was to the prom at that point, and they said to us right before they left, don't, don't forget this night because these are the best days of your life. I walked out the door, I'm like, I sure as heck hope not. <laughs> Man, I hope there's something else to live for because you have no idea what, you, you're not remembering what it's like to be a high school student, right? I mean, talk about revisionist history, right? And, so the, and this is what God says. I know that was a tangent. This is, this is what He responds. He says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. And this is what He says. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or even twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you will loathe it. That has a, a pretty good sense of humor, does he not? But listen to this, and this is the key part. He says, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. If you keep reading, what you, you actually see is the power of God coming to bear and God sends so much quail that it was three feet deep for as long as they could walk in every direction. Three feet! You want quail? Here it comes, right? More than you could eat in a month. It's, I mean, I just this picture in my head of it coming out of their nostrils. I'm like, what was that like? You keep reading even further though, and here's what happened. The person who gathered the least amount, think of all the people, two million plus, the person that gathered the very least amount gathered the equivalent of eight bushels. You know how much that is? That's 640 gallons of quail. The least. It only went up from there. And God was so disgusted by their greediness that He actually turned them over to it saying that you rejected Me. You find out it goes really bad for them. And, and because they've eaten so much quail, it results in a plague. And many people died because of over, overeating, gluttony. So why did God say you've rejected the Lord who is among you? Why does He say when you were complaining about food and water, you're actually rejecting Me? It's because they're actually rejecting both parts of God's goodness, right? They're saying God hasn't given us good gifts and we think there are better gifts out there. And then secondly, that the gifts that God gives or can give but hasn't given are, are better than the gift of His presence. They're more satisfying to us. This is crazy, right? 
Every day they can get up, walk out of their tent, look into the middle of their camp and go, yep, the, the presence of the living God is among us. There is a smoke pillar coming from the middle of our camp. And the most powerful person in the universe is among us and for us. Who is our enemy, right? And yet they get up and go, I don't think that's good enough. I think there's a little bit more out there. And I would actually rather go back to the place where God was absent if I could just have a better menu. It's crazy, right? And yet how much do we base our contentment and our peace on whether our direct circumstances are meeting our expectations? In other words, like we said last week, we want to be the judge of all that stuff, right? And this story makes it clear, when we base our peace and our contentment on temporary things, we'll believe that we never have enough. And then even when we do get the thing that we want the most, we'll find that it doesn't give us what we hoped it would. So what do you look for for satisfaction and comfort? What do you believe that you need more than anything else? Is it a new house, something big? Is it video games or coffee? Is it a certain kind of relationship? Is it a raise at work? Is it the respect of your peers? Is it the admiration of your kids? Is it a vacation because you don't feel like you're rested? Is it financial stability because you feel like things are chaotic right now? Is it making others happy? Is it food? Is it sex? Is it the, the next smartphone that's coming out on Tuesday? And then let me ask you, if you're being honest with yourself, what is the striving after of that thing actually producing in your life and your heart? What's it actually producing? Is it producing contentment and joy and peace and comfort and satisfaction overflowing? Or is it producing anxiety and disappointment and cynicism about life and discontentment and a desire to control your situation and others and a weariness and an anger at God or a jealousy of other people? And you think, man, wait, if those things are good, why is it producing the opposite of satisfaction and joy and peace in life? It's because everything that I just listed for you, everything on that list, was designed by God to be good, but every one of them was designed to fail you when you use it to replace Him. That's the whole reason, by the way, that food only lasts a few hours. You think, man, I've got to have like three meals a day. This is crazy. It's a lot of work to have three meals a day. Think about the time that you would save if you could eat just one meal and be good the rest of the day. And yet, God designed you in such a way that every single meal would satisfy and yet fail. Satisfy and fail. Satisfy and fail. Over and over and over again. See, it's not just food. Marriage is a great thing. I love my wife and she is a great helper and, and we are, are it's one of the most joy-filled things that I get to be a part of in my life. Don't get me wrong. But God designed it to fail if I look to my spouse to replace God. If I look to her and say, you must be for me my affirmation and my peace and my contentment and my joy and my comfort in all circumstances, 
and I've made her my God, and she is not able to live up to those expectations, and when she fails, I will be a wreck. And God is turning me over like the quail to my own desires so that I would see how bad they fulfill me. Same thing, jobs, they're good things, right? But God designed work for us to be creative, not for us to be the sole provider of our lives and independent in every way. God designed us in such a way that we need affirmation, but God designed us to get our primary identity from Him and not another person. And so if you find yourself just running from relationship to relationship, going, somebody notice me, somebody look at me, somebody affirm me, somebody tell me who I am, the reason you can't find a person to do that is because you weren't meant to find a person who does that. The good news is that the story also tells us where peace and contentment can be found. And it's into this world of discontentment and dissatisfaction that we find Jesus arriving, right? Jesus, He comes into the scene, into our broken and discontented lives and world where we've done nothing but complain and look to other things to satisfy us apart from Him. And He says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to meet the needs like nobody's ever done before. He comes and shows us that God is good because He comes and He gives good gifts, right? Think of His life. I mean, He comes and He heals the sick and He binds up the broken and He feeds the poor and He gives water to the thirsty. He constantly pouring His life out as a servant so that those around Him, when they're around Him, would go, man, this is what God must be like. And He goes, yep, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. This is what He's like. He is more generous than you've ever imagined before. He brings good gifts, right? But Jesus also shows us that God is good because He's God in the flesh too. He Himself is the best gift to humanity because He's the very presence of God with us. And so there's a great instance where we see this in John 4 where Jesus encounters a woman at the well. And it's a very familiar story to a lot of us, right? Um, So He encounters this woman at the well. She's there to draw water. um, And and he, He says, can you draw me a drink from the well? And she goes to do that and He's And then he starts talking about living water. And this is what he says. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. All the things that God planned for us to be satisfied. He says, I can give you that. Remember when God's people cried out in the desert and God gave them water. I'm here to give you a water that will satisfy you forever. That's why I'm here. And I love her response too because she just totally doesn't get it, right? She's like the the quintessential check engine lights on. She goes out and kicks the tires, right? Because this is her response. She says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink water. So like if you got magic water somewhere stored in your robe, just let, let me know where it is or if like, so I can get some of it and I won't be thirsty anymore. And what's Jesus' response? Those of you who know the story, what does He say? He says, go get your husband. What kind of random response is that? Right? They're having a conversation about water and suddenly He goes, go and get your husband. Like without warning. See, Jesus is going right for the thing that she's used to satisfy herself her entire life. He's going for her heart. 
She's talking about water. He's talking about living water. And then he goes, go and get your living water. Go and, and retrieve the thing that you've been looking to as water because we're going to do a comparison of the two and see how they work out. It turns out, right, that she's had five husbands and is now living with a man who isn't even her husband. So what would you think, based on the conversation, that she's looking to for satisfaction and contentment and peace? Relationship, right? Somebody look at me. Somebody love me. I cannot be alone because if I'm alone, I can't. She's looking to someone's approval and love and acceptance and joy to be shed and poured out on her. And when she can't find it in husband A, she goes to B and then C and then D. And then once she's given up on the whole husband deal, she says, all right, I'm just going to live with somebody and see if they can do a job. And Jesus is going, you don't get it. The thing that you've been looking to is leaving you empty. You need me. There's a longing in your soul that only I can fulfill and I am the best gift that God has ever given to you. I love the way that Tim Chester puts it. He says this, this is the invitation. The invitation is to find in God that which truly satisfies. Whatever sin offers, whatever anything else in life offers, God offers more. For God offers us Himself. God isn't just good, He's better. Better than everything else and the true source of all joy. See, Jesus is better. I was thinking about this in terms of my own stuff and realizing that having Jesus is far better than having unlimited time. Because here's the thing. If I had unlimited time in my life, here's what I would do. I would use the majority of my unlimited time for me, myself, and I. Right? I would just use it all up for selfish reasons and selfish purposes and all the rest just so I could find my gratification in something else other than the presence of God. And so God's going to me, like, you don't realize that you're complaining about time because you don't have enough, but you would use the time that you have to find something other than me. So I'm not going to give you more time if you're going to use it to find something other than the source of true joy. I want you to use the little time that you have so that you'd know you'd be in need and that you'd run to me in your need and find me. Right? And if, and if you have me, you have more than enough time because you have Jesus. If Jesus had enough time on this earth, you certainly have enough time. I'm starting to realize I'm 33, so I'm getting up there to the time where I'm going to have more time on this earth than Jesus. And I've got nothing to complain about. Jesus, you're better. And you know what's best. See, in Jesus, God meets every one of your needs better than what you're currently running to. And the only way to disarm the, 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 the fallout from what's happening in your life as you run to other things that are good is if you say to Jesus and to yourself, you are better. You're better. Help me to believe it. I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. You're the most good. That's why I said this before, I'll say it again, that Worship is the only way that you actually defeat sin in your life. Because every time you're provided with a temptation that says, look to something else for joy and satisfaction, you need to be able to say to that temptation, no, Jesus is better. He's far better. 
Every time you feel like you want to give your heart away to somebody to, to find contentment in them again, and you know that it's going to lead you down a path where you go, I'm going to be a wreck in the end because they're not going to give me what I need, you have to say, Jesus is better. He's far better. So we're going to come to the table and celebrate the fact that Jesus is better and experience the goodness of who he is. Uh, Psalm 34 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And I was thinking about this, like, in terms of communion. Why taste and see? Like, why does he say taste? You have five senses, right? And they get closer and closer in proximity. So I can see you. I'm seeing a lot of you. And, and you can be across the room. I can hear you and you may be a little bit closer. If I can smell you, we're pretty close, right? <laughs> and there's a very short list of people that I can taste. <laughs> I hope there is for you too. <laughs> Think about that, though. Taste is the most intimate of senses that you have. And God says, taste and see that I'm good. Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you are not my disciples. And he's not talking about some kind of weird cannibalism. He's saying, you need to bring me into your life. You need to taste that I am good, not just in a general sense for everyone but maybe not so much for you. You need to know and experience and taste and bring my goodness into your very life and see it for yourself. We need to experience Him. So let me ask, have you, have you tasted and seen that He's good? Today could be the day that you experience Him. And maybe even for the first time. And so that's what the table's all about. It's about coming to it and going, you are better, Jesus. And I'm going to take you into my life to know it for myself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we were created with needs. Life would seemingly, from our perspective, be so much easier if we didn't have needs. And yet, you know far better than we do that if we were without needs, that we would use our independence to run further and further away from you. And so, in your wisdom and in your grace, you use our needs to bring us back into relationship. And so, I pray, God, as we come to the table, and even this week, God, as we have needs that you'd use those needs to remind us of how you're the source of all good things and that you give all good things to us. And the best thing that you've given us is yourself. God, help us to find our satisfaction in you so that we would be able to walk through life and every moment we would be able to say, Jesus is better. God, you are good. And I believe it all the time. All the time, you are good. Help me to walk through that. Help us as a community to be a picture of what that looks like so that your goodness would be on display to the world. In Christ's name, amen.